Well, did you enjoy Trevor the first time around? Well, now he's back for seconds. Give a warm welcome to Trevor Loudon. Thanks again, folks. And I gave you both barrels last time. I'll, I'll uh, try and give you some encouragement this time as well. Well, look, thank you so much for being here. And as Paul said, you know, what we're trying to do here, you know, the, the wall we're in is as old as heaven and hell. But it's, we've got a big battle in front of us about in the 60 days' time. And if we've if we got to win that battle, because if we don't, it's going to be so much harder from then on out. We've got to do ourselves a favor and win this battle. And as Paul said, we win a four-year reprieve. Um, you can get your worldview training going. You can bring a whole lot more pastors on board. And you can start to kindle the spiritual awakening this country is long overdue for. But we've got to win the battle. You know, the Democrats have already passed the, the Equality Act through the Congress. And a lot of um, pastors don't understand the significance of that. That will become law if Joe Biden becomes president or, or really Kamala Harris becomes president. Because what it says is that LGBTQ rights are ahead of your, of your religious liberties. You know, you might be in a conservative church and you, you might uh, have a gay couple come to you and say, we want to get married in your church. And you say, well, no, that doesn't accord with our view, with our biblical view of things. You'll have to go elsewhere. And you'll get slapped with a $5 million lawsuit from the Department of Justice and they will shut you down. And if you don't get shut down, it'll only take a few churches to have that happen to them, and a whole bunch of other pastors will just give up, and, and that will be the end of Christianity as we know it in America. Now, you know, if you go back to pre-World War II, there was only one force that could have stopped the Nazi rise in Germany, and that was the German churches. They had the numbers and the moral authority to put a stop to Hitler. But they decided not to. They became Nazi Christians. They put swastikas in their churches. They went along to get along. And look what happened, folks. Six million Jews slaughtered, 20 million people died, and hundreds of thousands of young American boys had to go over there and sort out the mess because the German Christians wouldn't stand up. Well, we're in the same position today, folks. We are facing tyranny in this country, tyranny around the world, and what's going to happen depends on how much the churches stand up. And some are going to and some are not. And I know what side I'd rather be on when it comes to judgment time, folks. You know, I don't fancy being a German pastor and dying in 1942 and facing my maker and say, well, what did you do to stop Hitler? Well, I put a swastika in my church. Is that okay? <laughs> so if you look at the American churches today, see, see Andrew Breitbart, and I'm sure some of you have heard of him. He was a, a very good conservative journalist. And he always used to have a saying, he'd say, Politics is downstream from culture. The culture shapes the politics. But he could have added, 
that culture is downstream from religion. The religion shapes the culture, the culture shapes the politics. Now, if you look at the state of American culture and the state of American politics, does that give you any inkling of the state of the American churches? Does it give you a little bit of a clue about the state of the churches? Do you think if all the churches were standing up, if all the churches were teaching the Bible correctly, if all the churches were being ecclesia and being involved in all areas of life, do you think America would be in the state it's in today? I guarantee it. Now, you know, ever since this republic was founded, you, you, you have found the first republic in the world history to be founded on the proposition that your rights come from God to the people. And the people have a right to elect a representative government to protect those rights. Before that, it had been the divine right of kings. The king would rule the people. And he would tell the people, God told me you've got to do this. And it just happened to be that God always agreed with the king. Right? And so the people were slaves of the king. And if you disobeyed the king, you were disobeying God. And there was a fraud, complete fraud, but that's how the world was run. But your founding fathers decided to do things differently. And, we got, and as it was very well stated in the Black Robed Regiment um, documentary last night, the revolution was not about taxes. It was not about anything like that. There were 13 colonies, all led by different religious denominations. All of them had fled Europe to practice their faith in the way they saw fit. And when they saw King George starting to exert his control over the colonies, they knew it was not long before they would have a state religion forced on them like everybody in Europe had. And they were not going to have it. This revolution was fought more than anything else for religious liberty. And they, look what they gave you, people. They gave you the greatest country the world has ever known, the most prosperity, the most freedom, the ability to save nations across the world, the ability to send evangelists all over the planet, to build schools and hospitals and churches all over the planet. Do you really think God wants that lost? Why go to all that bother of allowing you to create that then just let it all slip away? So this republic has had enemies right from the start because every dictator, every king was offended by the concept that your rights came from God. He was not in the equation. He was cut out. You had a relationship with God. That was it. The king was not involved in that. And that offended every dictator on the planet. And they have been trying ever since to overthrow your republic. Well, it really stepped up in 1917 when the Bolsheviks took over Russia because communism 
was the most organized form of Satanism we've ever seen on the planet. It was Satanism with science. That's essentially what it is. If you read Karl Marx's history, he was a Satanist. But what he did was tie in economics, or his version of economics, and tried to give it a socialist veneer. And then, he drew, then, then we had Darwin at the same time telling you that you know, it was all about evolution. We were just atoms colliding. That there was nothing unique about human life. We were just another form of animal. And all that combined together, you know, the age of reason, to basically downgrade Christianity, to take Christianity from the leadership position of society until some places it's only very marginal at best. So the very first communist front in this country was the Methodist Committee for Social Action. The communists understood that if they wanted to bring down America, and America was the biggest impediment to world communism that there was, Christian America specifically, because the whole idea of rights coming from God, that was anathema to the communists. Because they, to the communists, they are God. They are gods on earth. And whenever somebody owed loyalty to God in heaven and not to them, they would have to be destroyed. You cannot owe loyalty to two masters. And the communists wanted to be your master. So they immediately started infiltrating the, the churches. Because what do they want? They want influence and they want money. And the churches had both. So the Communist Party USA deliberately told its members, if you were a, um, an Orthodox, grew up in an Orthodox family, go into the Orthodox church. If you grew up in a Catholic family, go back into the Catholic church. If you grew up in an Episcopalian family, go into the Episcopalian church and start promoting socialism in the churches. Now, all the mainstream Protestant churches were pretty quickly uh, taken down. You know, they, uh, they affiliated them with the National Council of Churches, and they affiliated those with the World Council of Churches, which was basically run by the Soviet KGB. The World Council of Churches, they used to call it the Communist Party at Prayer. And then the Catholics, they thought they were safe because who, they've got vows of celibacy, you see. So who is going to try and infiltrate us? What communist is going to infiltrate us if they have to take a lifelong vow of celibacy to do it? So they thought they were safe. But Balladod, the Catholic who became a communist and reverted back to her faith, testified before your Congress that in the 1930s she put 1,100 young communists into the Catholic priesthood. And it just turned out that many of them were homosexual. So it didn't really worry them about this vow of celibacy, did it? So that's led to the twin problems they have in the Catholic Church today of rampant socialism and a Marxist pope and the horrible sex abuse scandals we've seen, been hearing about for the last 20 years now. That all goes back to that infiltration of the 1930s. And now you have a Marxist pope, Francis, who is hand-picking the College of Cardinals to make sure they're all Marxists so they pick the next pope.
which is a huge problem for the huge Catholic population on this planet and for everybody who loves liberty. Now, but see, what happened when, the, when the, they started to infiltrate the mainstream Protestant churches, they were pretty much, the communists were pretty much hardcore Marxists and they'd, they'd basically preach socialism from the pulpit with a little bit of Christian veneer. But that didn't work very well, and thousands and millions of people left the mainstream churches, went into the evangelical movement, home churches, etc. And for a long time, the evangelicals and the Baptists were very loyal to the Bible and very politically conservative. Well, how long do you think that was going to be allowed to stand? You know, the communists have taken over Hollywood. They've taken over the unions, the Democratic Party, the education of your children, the LGBTQ movement, the environmental movement, the women's movement, Black Lives Matter, most of the main institutions of our society now. Why do you think they would leave the evangelical churches alone? People, they almost had America, and these crazy Christians went out and voted for Ronald Reagan. And then when they almost had you the second time, these lunatics went out and voted for Donald Trump. People, how long do you think they were going to put up with that when they had every other aspect of your society under their control? So there's been a very concerted effort in the last 10 years to infiltrate the evangelical churches and even the Southern Baptists. And people, we lose the Southern Baptists and the Evangelicals. You can kiss a free America goodbye. You know, so whether you care about the spiritual dimension or not of this, every American should care about this because the churches are the backbone of liberty in this nation. Now, we'll go back a bit before I discuss the penetration of these churches. Anybody ever heard the concept situation ethics? Okay, Even if you haven't heard of it, we spend most of our time living by this. Now, the traditional way of morality in this country for a long time was to reference the Ten Commandments. You may not have lived by the Ten Commandments, but at least you knew they were the moral guide. That's what you should be living by, even if you didn't always live up to it. Well, in 1966, a man called Joseph Fletcher one of the leading Protestant theologians, American theologians of the 20th century, wrote a book called Situation Ethics. And it took America by storm. It took the churches by storm because it proposed a new ethical standard. Forget about the Old Testament. That's harsh. That's judgmental. Judge your morality by love. If you do something in the spirit of love, that automatically makes it okay. That is situation ethics. Your morality is dictated by the situation you are confronted with. So your family is starving. You've got no money. You love your family. Of course you do. So you steal some food from the local supermarket. Well, according to situation ethics that's okay because you did it in the spirit of love. 
Have you seen any examples of this in your society around you? The whole church now is all about love. Love, love, love. As long as everybody loves you and you love Jesus, everything's okay. Well, there's two sides of love, folks. And I put it simply, is that there's a masculine side and a feminine side. You know, everybody knows the love of the mother. You know, you skin your knee, mum will pick you up, she'll put a bandage on your knee, she'll give you a hug, she'll bake scones with you, she'll make pancakes, she'll love you no matter what you do, okay? And then there's the love of the father who will boot your little backside if you disrespect your mother, okay? Who will take you fishing, who will take you hunting to the baseball game and to the woodshed if required, So that is masculine love, and every family is better with both sides of love, is it not? Every family needs both. Well, every church needs both. And most churches now are all about feminine love, agape love. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter how you act, we love you, Jesus loves you, it's all okay, no judgment, no criticism, no chastisement. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about any of that tough stuff. It's all about accepting love. Well, that's fine. But you've got to have the masculine love too. Because the masculine love is the law. And the Old Testament's all about the law. And so is the New Testament, if you care to read it. The masculine side is what defends the law. What lays down the law. And can you have a functioning family without the law? Can you have a functioning church without the law? Can you have a functioning society without the law? We need both, folks. And so the whole feminine idea of love is what situation ethics is based on. No judgment. Just do what you like as long as you did it lovingly. Well, this transformed American Christianity... It transformed American families. It came just at the same time that Dr. Spock was telling every parent they should be their kid's friend, not their parent. It came just when the Gramsci and the Frankfurt School was indoctrinating your youth into free love, make love, not war, drop out, whatever. All of it came together in the 60s. And America's never been the same. Well, Joseph Fletcher was a communist, people. He was active in several communist fronts in the 30s, active in the Communist Party in Massachusetts, all the time serving as the leading Protestant theologian of his day. And after he had written his book and transformed the morality of the nation, he left the church, declared himself an atheist, and advocated for post-birth abortion for retarded children up to 10 years old. You may be surprised he also worked with Margaret Sangster to found Planned Parenthood. That might shock you a little bit, right? But the point I'm making, one communist posing as a Christian transformed this nation. So back in the 50s, the man in this state, a man called Johnson, Senator Lyndon Baines Johnson, proposed a change to the tax code. It was called the Johnson Amendment. 
and it said that every pastor in this country could not preach, could not endorse candidates from the pulpit for fear of losing their tax-exempt status. And I'll tell you what, people, every gutless pastor in the country said hallelujah because it meant they didn't have to address the tough stuff. They had an automatic get-out-of-jail-free card. No, I can't talk about that. No, no, we can't discuss that. No, 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 because we'd lose our tax-exempt status. And when President Trump proposed removing that a while back, he did it in front of a big evangelical conference, and he thought he'd get a row right on. And most of the pastors were just, yeah, because none of them wanted it. They were very happy with what they had. Thank you very much, President President, we just want to keep quiet. We, want, we don't want to look, you know, gifts, attendance. We don't want to talk about abortion. We don't want to say, don't vote for that Democrat candidate because he's pro-abortion and he's a socialist. We don't want to do any of that stuff because half of our church is going to walk out the next day and my mortgage will collapse and I'm out of a job. They love the Johnson Amendment, people. And it's up to you people who actually do care about your churches and do care about the people you minister to to make sure it is abolished because we've got to do that to change the culture of Christianity in this country. So a few years after the Johnson Amendment, they took prayer out of schools. Then a few years after that, they passed Roe v. Wade. Have those two decisions had a big negative impact on this country, do you think? Absolutely. And do you think they could have been passed if they hadn't passed the Johnson Amendment first? That was used to buy off the churches, to neutralize the churches. And you've got to understand, Johnson had a lot of socialists in his administration, and he himself had been very heavily involved in the left as a young man. People think of him as this conservative Democrat. He was not so conservative. He brought in the great society that basically put, destroyed the black family in this country. The black families who used to vote Republican, who had lower illegitimacy rates than the white population, higher church-going rates than the white population, were destroyed by what Johnson did. All to a plan, folks. You've got to get the pesky Christians out of politics. Goes back to the 6th, 17th century. Who's heard the term pietism? It means Christians should be pious, stay in their churches, and not involve themselves in worldly pursuits. Well, that was a response to the Reformation, when Christians were raging across Europe, changing everything. Well, some Christians, as a reaction to that, said, no, we don't like this. We just want to stay in our churches and do nothing. You know, the Amish are an example of pietism. And the princes of Europe thought this was a great, a great movement, and they funded it. And pietism is now the culture of most American churches. Really, it is. They are part of, they're not ecclesia. They don't believe they should be involved in every aspect of society. They're confined to four walls on a Sunday morning. That's it. That's pietism, folks. 
And you can't tell me that's not the dominant culture of American Christianity today. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be in the position we are today. So, the, the evangelicals and the Baptists. Well, I'm going to offend a few people here. If some people walk out, well, that's tough. I'm sorry. Because I'm going to name a few names. I'm actually doing a movie on this now. I was brought into this by my good friend Judd Saul of Iowa, and um, he did the Enemies Within with me, and Kerry Gordon of, uh, as a pastor in Sioux City, Iowa. And they brought me in because of my knowledge of communism, because they'd been seeing this stuff infiltrate into the churches, and they wanted to do a movie on it. And I went into it, and I knew about the, the, uh, I knew about the, uh, you know, the mainstream Protestant churches. I knew about the Marxist Pope, but I was shocked at what I found that's going on in the evangelical churches now and the Baptist churches. Look, I guarantee you go into most evangelical churches in this country today and you'd hear a lot more about Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and welcoming refugees and refugee resettlement and social justice than you're ever going to hear about sin or redemption. I guarantee it. All over the country. All of those are Marxist concepts. Every single one is a Marxist concept. I'll give you an example. In our movie, we've got a, a, a little clip of a woman called Michelle Higgins, a young black pastor from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And in 2015, they had a conference of young evangelicals from all over the Midwest. And these kids are mostly white because it is the Midwest. And she got up and told them that the thing God wanted them to do more than anything else was to end white privilege. This was apparently the 11th commandment that had got missed off somehow. So all these young evangelical kids are, wow, yeah, I've got to end white privilege. Yeah, we've got to get on top of this. This is a huge problem in the church, blah, blah, blah. Well, Michelle Higgins was a member of a group called the Organization of Black Struggle, which is a front for a pro-Chinese communist group called Liberation Road. And you might have heard of their front group. It's called Black Lives Matter. Michelle Higgins had a lot to do with the riots in Ferguson, Missouri. Liberation Road ran the riots in Ferguson, Missouri. They were the trial run for what we've seen this year. The riots we're seeing all around the country are run by two pro-Chinese communist groups, Liberation Road and the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. It's all a Chinese operation, folks. All of it. Doesn't mean other communists aren't involved in Antifa and whatever and globalists and Iranians and Venezuelans, but it's basically a Chinese-run operation. So these young evangelicals are all fired up for supporting communism because they think it's Christianity. Now, what is critical race theory? It is the concept that if you're white, you're automatically racist. You can be on food stamps. You've never had a job in your life, but you're part of the white capitalist Christian power structure. And you're, that's automatically racist. So the old communist paradigm was this. The workers were oppressed by the capitalists. And they would rise up and overthrow the capitalists and establish the new state. 
That was the old paradigm. But that doesn't work very well in America because class struggle isn't a big deal here. You can start out poor and end up very, very wealthy, thanks very much. You can start out very wealthy and end up very poor too. It's not like the rigid class structures of Europe. So, but race is always with you. What you're born in, the skin color you're born in, that's you for life, sunshine. And if you believe that race is a determining factor, that's how you think, that's how you see the world. We don't see the world that way because the spirit has no color. You know, you are what you are in the eyes of God. You're not, you're not judged by anything else. You're, uh, uh, you're judged by what you believe and what you do, how faithful you are. But to a Marxist, you are all about the class you belong to or the race you belong to or the gender you belong to. And you better not betray your race or gender. That's why in Ferguson they, blew, they burnt all the black businesses first because you can't have wealthy black people because that would destroy the narrative. So, so the, the new paradigm is this. If you are white, you're part of the white Christian capitalist power structure. And that's intrinsically racist. You are automatically oppressing peoples of color, whether you know it or not. You're part of the structure. So you're intrinsically racist. So to end racism, you have to overthrow the white Christian capitalist patriarchy. That's the new capitalist structure. Have you seen any of this in action in your society? That's, you know, my friend Judd, he, he, got, he goes to this relatively conservative Baptist church in Iowa, and the other day the pastor was out there giving pizzas out to Black Lives Matter. Supporting the revolution, folks. Because he's so ignorant, he doesn't know these people are on Satan's side. He thinks he's got the sin of racism on him. And therefore the only way he can expiate this sin is by going along with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, who came up with this idea of critical race theory? It was a man called James Cone, black pastor, a black uh, theologian. He wrote a book called Marxism and the Black Church. What do they have to offer each other? He went to Cuba in 1982 to meet with a whole bunch of Soviet Christian fronts and Cuban Christian fronts and with Fidel Castro. And he took with him somebody you may have heard of, a man called Jeremiah Wright, Obama's pastor. Obama is all about this stuff, folks. Been a Marxist his entire life. But this is critical race theory. And the Southern Baptists adopted this as part of the church doctrine at their conference in Alabama last year. That's now part of the of the Southern Baptist playbook. See, the Southern Baptists were going to the left in the 70s, but Paige Patterson and others got in there and purged the radicals. This was the Vietnam War era, and a lot of people went into Bible college rather than go to Vietnam, right? So you had a whole bunch of pinkos who thought, no, I'm going to become a pastor because I'd rather fight for socialism in Christianity than fight against communism in the jungles of Vietnam. 
So they were infiltrating big time in the 70s, and Paige Patterson and his friends got rid of them and got the Southern Baptists back on track. Well, under Mr. Russell Moore and Walter Strickland, and uh, what's, uh, what's the guy's name as the president now? Um, J.D. Greer. These people are allowing Marxism to come into the Baptist church big time. Walter Strickland is promoting it like crazy. Walter Strickland, you know, out of South, Southeastern Baptist, is a little Stalinist training college now. This is going all through the Baptist seminaries now. You don't believe me? You go and look at the curriculums they have now. It's all about social justice. It's all about critical race theory. I got a friend who was at Southeastern Baptist recently. He wrote one blog post, a little bit critical of something he'd been taught. He was hauled in by the head of it, what's his, oh, I forget his name now, and told if he did that again, he would not graduate. They are going to the left people, big time, big time. And um, I'll give you an example. There was, a, there was a, a, a little Baptist church in North Carolina, and a new pastor came in, all fired up with critical race theory, ending racism. Racism is the big sin. Look, you only need one thing to deal with racism. That is, do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. That's it. You apply that rule and racism is gone. That's it. Very simple. And uh, this pastor came and he noticed there were two families in the church. One was black, one was white. And guess what? They both had the same surname. So obviously, the white family must have once enslaved the black family. So he demanded of the white family that they apologize to the black family for their sin of slavery. Well, the white family, to their credit, refused. They said, well, A, we had nothing to do with slavery, and B, we're Christians. We're responsible for our sin, not the sins of somebody in the past. Okay? There is no such thing as collective sin in these circumstances. And the pastor insisted he wouldn't let up. That church now no longer exists. It split the church apart. There was a great big Baptist church in Naples, very big, very conservative Baptist church. And last year, they were given the choice of a new pastor, and he was a black guy. But he got up and he starts going all about social justice, all about all this left-wing garbage. And in the Baptist church, you've got to vote them in by 85%. And he, they got him in by, they, he lost by, I think it was 83% or 82%. So that Russell Moore and J.D. Greer accused that church of racism. The only reason they rejected this pastor is because they were racists. Not because he was a commie, because they were racists. And the people that founded that church were driven out of that church. And now they have a social justice pastor, and that church will be voting Democrat in the next election. People, this has gone on all over the country, folks. Does anybody think I'm exaggerating slightly here? Have you seen examples maybe in your own church, the stuff creeping in? So this is in the Baptists. It's in the evangelical churches. 
One of the main culprits is a group called the Gospel Coalition, led by Tim Keller. You know, he's regarded as a very respectable Christian. He's written many books. He runs a big Methodist church in New York. You know, a lot of people look up to him. But if you go through his sermons, like my good friend John did for the research for this movie, he quotes Marx and Marxist philosophers literally hundreds of times through his sermons over many years. He is the man with Mark Deva and others who is bringing social justice into the churches like you wouldn't believe, critical race theory, telling people this is their line. See, they want you to vote Democrat. Russell Moore used to be a Democrat. And they're not coming out to tell you to vote Democrat. They say, don't get all single issue over abortion. Don't ignore the Democrats because of their stance on abortion. Be more holistic. Because if the Democrats can come in and enact all their social policies that will help the poor people, that will reduce the need for abortion. So by voting Democrat, you can actually reduce abortion. This is the kind of logic they are pumping out there. Their goal is in this election to neutralize Christians so don't vote for Trump. If they can't make them vote Democrat, at least make them not vote for Trump, which is why they're signing all these letters, oh, you know, Gospel Coalition, etc. We're offended by Trump. He's a sexist. He's a racist you know, and if you're morally a Christian, you cannot vote for this man. You've got a two communists on the other ticket, but because Trump has done a few offensive things in his life, you can't vote for him. But they forget about the communist side. People, I know Trump's not an angel, but neither were half the people in the Old Testament, were they? You know, we're all fallen beings. I know he is, he's not good always, but he is great. And he's done a lot for this country. And the alternative is horrific. But the Gospel Coalition is on the other side, folks. Russell Moore and Tim Keller. You know, one of they got to Mr. Uh, I can never remember his name. No, Tabili, one of, the, one of their pastors. Big man on the Gospel Coalition. Well, he used to be called Ron Burns. And he was a Marxist. Then he became a Muslim. And then he became a Christian. But he still talks exactly the same as he does when he was a Marxist. But he's now a top man in the Gospel Coalition. Mark Devers is promoting actual Marxist literature written by communists, known communists, as the doctrine of it for ending racism. This is right to the Southern Baptists now. There is an opposition against it. There are people leaving the Baptist denomination. There are people fighting back, and good for them. But there's still a whole bunch of pastors who have no clue. They just think this is the new way it is. And if Russell Moore says it, he's a nice man, he wears a nice suit, it must be true. You know, then they got rid of Paige Patterson, invented some Me Too scandal from 30 years ago. They got rid of Paige Patterson. They've taken his photographs out of the offices. He had a dog that died and buried in the grounds of, of the Southern Baptist you know, headquarters. They unburied the dog and buried it somewhere else. Purged all reference to Paige Patterson. 
This is like the Stalinists used to do people when they used to paint people out of photographs who'd fallen out of favour. So you really have hardcore socialists now running the Southern Baptists. And that's got serious implications spiritually, culturally and politically. All of it. The same thing is going through many of the evangelical churches. You know, groups like YWAM, groups like, um, you know, what's the charity, um, uh, the, main, the big Christian charity? Um, World Vision, which used to be strongly anti-communist, is now run by the radicals. So you're giving your money to these radicals to basically evangelize communism in the third world. Many of these very uh, crew, you know, Campus Crusade for Christ, is now run by the left. Please do not believe what I say. Check it out for yourself. Check it out. If I'm wrong, I am the first one to admit I'm wrong, people. I would love to be called out wrong for this. I'd love to be made a fool of because that would mean that Christ, American Christianity is in good hands. But I think you'll find I'm right. Because sometimes, you know, I'm from another country and sometimes you can see your neighbours' affairs more clearly than they can see their own, right? You know what your neighbours should be doing even if they don't. Well, sometimes someone from another country can see what's happening in your country with a different perspective. And that's my only value to you, really. I'm offering you a different perspective. I want you to check what I say out. But I'm making a movie now, Enemies Within the Church. And I'll tell you what, if the political one shocks you, this one is even, even worse. And um, just by the way... I don't, you know, we are 98% funded. Go to enemieswithinthechurch.com. If you want to put in some money, put in some money. We're, we're 98% funded for production, but we still need a bit more for the distribution budget. And I hope when it comes out that you will help distribute it. Because obviously a lot of the mainstream churches are not going to help. And one thing that's going to happen, we're going to have a website. Because a lot of people want to go to church. So they just go to their neighborhood church. And it might be a good church or it might be a social justice church, but they don't know the difference. So immediately they're going in the wrong direction. Well, we're going to create a whole list of sound churches in every zip code so people can sort out, if they want to go to church, well, what's a good church in my zip code? So people can actually go to a good church and not to some left-wing communist church who's going to lead them well astray. So, you know, this is all part of starting a new movement because this country has to spiritually awaken to survive, you know, to prosper. So what I've laid out here is that you know, if you were Satan, would you not want to get inside the churches? Would that not be one of the most important missions you had? You know, Christians are, are, are commanded to be discerning as serpents and wise as, and, no, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Well, being gentle as doves is great, but what about the discerning as wise as serpents bit? You know, the devil is the father of lies. Would he not want to deceive Christians? Would he not want to get inside the church and preach false gospel? 
Wouldn't, isn't that what he would want to do? Well, aren't we a little bit naive to think that's never happened or isn't happening now? Well, by their fruits shall ye know them, folks. Where is America now? Where is America's culture? And what does that tell you about the current state of American Christianity? Is there a clue there that maybe you have been infiltrated just a little bit? Just a little. Well, I think a lot, actually. But that's why I'm so gratified that there's a room full of 300 people here who have not been infiltrated, who have not been co-opted, who have not been co- you know, co-opted to become an agent of the enemy. But we all need more information, folks. And none of us can say we have taken every stand we could have at every time we could have for truth, can we? None of us can say we have been the valiant soldiers that we could have been all the time. Well, now is a time of crisis. And just as your ancestors gave up everything, gave up their farms, their families, their wealth, their prestige, everything to pick up their squirrel rifle and go and fight the world's greatest military empire with no hope of victory on this crazy idea that rights come from God and not the government, And look what they won and look what they gave you. But look at the commitment those people made. Well, do we owe our children and grandchildren any lesser commitment? We have been given the greatest country the world has ever known. We have let it almost slip through our fingers. Do we not have a little bit of work to do to get it back? Do we have a responsibility to do that work? Is it our duty to do that work? Is it just something we can do optionally? Or is it a duty to do it? That's what we all have to look into our hearts and determine, folks. I cannot make that decision for you. But the very fact you are here means that you're probably already well on the way to making that decision. And all I can say is please carry that commitment through to the best of your ability because the future of this country depends on it, your children's future depends on it, and the future of the church most certainly depends on it. So I want to thank you again for being here and for being the warriors that you are and being willing to listen. So thank you for holding this, Paul. God bless you all, and uh, we'll see you in the trenches. Thank you.